0: Hey, y'all, welcome to the Road You Leave Behind podcast on Outsider.com. I'm your host, Marty Smith, and it's the joy of my life to get to spend this time with you guys. This is the very first episode. This one extremely special for that reason, but for several other reasons. Uh, Our guest is Mark Miller, the lead singer of Sawyer Brown, someone that I have admired nearly my entire life for the amazing work that he and his bandmates have offered us for so long. Some of the most iconic, influential, important, emotional songs of what I believe to be the greatest era in country music, the 90s. They had The Walk. They had The Outskirts of Town. They had Some Girls Do. They had Thank God for You. They had Uh, Step by Step, The Boys and Me, it goes on and on and on all these years. They've had so many amazing songs, and Mark's path is equally amazing. I bet you didn't know that he played college basketball. I bet you didn't know Sawyer Brown won Star Search. I bet you didn't know the reasons behind some of those amazing songs. I didn't, and I couldn't wait to learn about it. Here's Mark Miller. On the road you leave behind. let this
1: start. There
2: you go. There okay, it man. is. All right. All right. <laughs> What's
1: going on? Thank you,
0: Madison. What's going on, man? Yeah.
2: Man, I'm in Florida, and I'll, I'll, I'm heading back to Nashville on um, Monday. But I have a, I have, a, I grew up down here. Yep. So I have a, I I still have a home down here. And so I come down and surf and work out in the winter. So, cause Nashville is just, where are you located?
0: Lake Norman, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, a little bit, a little bit North okay. of Charlotte.
2: Yeah. Um, so the, win- the winters in Nashville are just like ugly. It doesn't snow and just, just they're Charlotte. And rainy, so.
0: It's the yeah. same exact weather we have here. Uh, almost exactly. Uh, so that's so yeah. cool, man. And, Uh, I'm so grateful for your time and to get to spend this time fellowshipping with you and learning about your path. Um, yeah, before we get to the music, uh, let's start with what led to the music just in Ohio. What were those kind of formative youth years like for you before you moved to Florida?
2: Um,
0: well, I mean, I grew
2: up in church, you know, so, so in, in a Pentecostal church and, and uh, and and I I played ball. That's 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 really, you know, I, I I really had no aspirations to play music because I was such I was really shy and and, and really still am. Um, but so so I I really I, I really turned to to basketball. I was I became a really good basketball player, and that was my passion. Still is. Uh, and you can, you know, you can ask Shannon, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but we would sing in church and when I was really little, my mom would make me get up and sing and I hated it because I, I would get so nervous. So, so then, you know, when I was 12, we moved to Florida and, uh, and, and still, you know, I'm, and I'm still solid in my faith to this day. So. So everything was all about church, but if you if you've been to a Pentecostal church, you know we rock it. Yeah, you know, man. We we have horns, guitars. We have everything. You know, if you can play anything, you play. It. And and that's that's the the way music was growing up. But 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 I I will say this, I like I always felt it. I didn't just sing it. I mean, if music and when I would hear. Especially, I mean, to this day, man. I'll, I'll, if I'm riding down the road, I'll turn in some old gospel quartet. I'll find it, you know, somewhere. The guitar's getting ready to fall in the background there.
0: Oh, <laughs> it sure is. That's the most Marty Smith thing ever. Let's, let's lean it up. Yeah. How about let's just put it down? That'll be a better idea. Let's yeah. just put it down. All right, brother, go ahead.
2: Um, but uh. But, you know, I, I would I would feel the music all the way down to my bones, man. And, uh, and and I still do today. Like, you know, you know, people will ask me, like, when you're on stage, man, it's like, you know, I, I mean, the, the crowd is awesome and the fans are awesome. Uh, but when when man, when I, I feel music as much as I sing it or, or play it. And that, and, and sometimes that comes out. You know, I I don't really call it dancing more than than my brother calls it spastic movement. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so he keeps me humble. <laughs> that that's interesting to me that you said that you're you're still shy, based on what you're saying. You know, your stage presence is anything but shy.
1: Is yeah, that
0: almost I, like a? Is is your stage presence almost a defense mechanism for that?
2: Well. Um, I think, I think the one thing is, 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 you know, I'll, I'll go back to I'm an athlete mm-hmm. and I always got nervous when I would play ball, you know, I would get, i would get nervous when I'm, you know, when I was on the floor, but there was, there's a concentration level that also happens that takes over. And that's, and that's really what happens is, is, you you know, I, I will tell you this. I fought it for a long time because I thought I'm just going to be a songwriter because I didn't think I could get up and sing in front of anybody. Sawyer Brown's the first band I've ever been in, hmm. and and so so there there was there was
1: there
2: was really that, that that fear of of getting up in front of people and them actually seeing, you know, maybe <laughs> I I don't know what I thought they were going to be seeing, but but uh, I. I did not enjoy that thought. If you would have told me in high school that this is what I would be doing for a living, I, I probably would have just <laughs> freaked out, you know, but, but get, getting back to your question is, is when, when I figured out that this is God's path for me, I said, well, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the best there is at it. So I, so I mean, I I always loved Elvis and and you know Mick Jagger and you know those got Little Richard and the guys that really performed Chuck Berry Showman Chuck Berry, you know legendary Showman yeah and so 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 I would study these guys and and that along with my Pentecostal upbringing and just feeling the music is is what developed I mean if you would have seen. Like when we first put the band together, we got our first club gig. If you would have seen me, I mean, I, I just stood there like this, and then, you know. <laughs> I was George Strait, I was Alan Jackson. You know? <laughs> I'm just like, you know, strumming. <clears throat> but then, I, you know, but then as I started feeling the music, I would start moving and, you know, and the girls would start screaming and <laughs> I thought, well, there's something to
0: this. (laughs) I need to do this more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, you're talking about hoops. A lot of people think that Brandon Marshall or Shaq Griffin or McKenzie Milton might be the greatest athletes in the history of the University of Central Florida, but no, (laughs) they would be wrong. The great Mark Miller, the great point guard for the UCF Knights, man. Walk me through the hoop career. I, what was your What was your high school experience like, and then and then going to UCF to play?
2: Uh, I, I I went to Apopka High School in Apopka, Florida, and uh, John Anderson and I are, went to the same high school.
0: No way. Yeah,
2: yes. Yeah. Did so y'all
0: Did y'all go to school to get like at the he, same time? Ahead of me,
2: he was ahead of me a, 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 a several years. Um, John actually met me the first day I, I was in Nashville and, and introduced me to a bunch of people and helped me out wow. when I first came to town. And Hobie, our our keyboard player, is from Apopka. So Hobie and I have known each other since the eighth grade. So, um, but um, my, my goal in life was to play basketball and, and, and maybe make it to the NBA. I, I ran out of DNA at some point.
0: <laughs> I always say the same thing, Mark. I always say, man, I knew I was going to play quarterback for Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech. And then this damn hurdle called talent. <laughs> I couldn't jump that hurdle. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well,
2: um, you know, I I, I was a, a, a real good high school player. and um, But I wanted to go to UCF and play for Torchy Clark. He was a legendary coach and he'd started the program there. And uh, my father had died in the service, so I was on a GI Bill. And so when I went to, to UCF to do a visit, you know, I, I really didn't need the scholarship. I just wanted to play for him. And, and man, I, you know, I made the team. And that was, that was really at one point, I, I was told I was always too small and I would never play college basketball. And and I probably did that out of spite more than anything else. I wanted to play college basketball, and I wanted to play at a, at a, a good program. And um and man, that's never any. I've never regretted that. You know, I played I played at UCF, um, and then then actually afterwards I kept playing in in exhibition games, and I would put teams together. Uh, we would put teams together and pl- go play colleges in preseason games, exhibition. It was the Sawyer Brown All-Stars. And I would get guys like Kyle Macy and Damon Bailey and, and, oh, and wow. you know, these guys to, you know, to go play. Uh, and Shannon would go on, on the trips with us. Shannon's a really good basketball player. Uh, don't let him know that I said that.
0: I was going to say, we're going to have to edit that part out for those yeah. of you listening. <laughs> those of you watching and listening who don't know, Shannon Terry is uh, the individual whom Mark is discussing, who is the founder of Outsider.com.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, we can't let him know that he's, <laughs> that he's good, Mark. We can't let him know. Yeah. <laughs> but, um,
2: but uh, and, and then, then I actually signed a, with the CBA team, the Fort Wayne Fury, for a, a couple of seasons. Uh, and that was actually why we are already touring. I had gone up with a, a buddy wanted me to go up to a tryout. He was, his name was John Kimball. He was a seven foot center. And he wanted me to go up to the tryout with him to get him the ball. Because, you know, in those tryout, in those open tryouts, it's almost impossible. So my goal, I, I just went up with him and, and I ended up making the team along with him. and, and the uh, And we already had hit songs out. And the, what? The, what the owner of the team, the owner of the team, came up and and this was the old CBA, and in the Continental Basketball Association, and he came up to me and he said, "Listen, I know who you are, but our coach doesn't, and he loves you." And he said, "Is there any way that you could play?" He said, "We would t- treat you like a transient NBA player. If, come to, if you could come to camp." And and he told me the dates, and I said, "Yeah, I can come to camp." He said, "Come to camp, learn the offense, and then you can just you know come in when you can come." Because Damon Bailey was on the team, Keith Smart was on the team, so it was loaded with Indiana boys that were great. Who's your
0: all-star team right there, man?
2: Yeah. So so I I did that for a couple seasons and played in exhibition games and stuff like that with them and. uh, uh, so, so basketballs. You know, I always say I'm a better basketball player than I am anything else. But, um, but that's that that's always been my passion and, and my love, and 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 still to this day.
0: What conversations did you have with Damon Bailey about high school? Like, again, for those of you guys watching and listening who don't know, Damon Bailey might be the most famous high school basketball player who ever breathed.
2: Yeah. So, okay, so I will tell you a story because you 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 would know who Eric Montrose is, of course. Of course. Okay. Go so here. Eric, Eric's a really close friend of mine. Eric and and Damon, of course, grew up in Indiana, and they actually played on AAU teams together. Can you imagine that in AAU no. team with Damon and Eric? I don't think That's not fair. Boston game. So so one day I was sitting around because Damon won Mr. Basketball and Eric was runner up and I said to Eric I said I said now tell me you know was you know should Damon have got Mr. Basketball and he said oh absolutely he said he said Mark he's the best high school basketball player of all time he says he he goes "I, I was runner up and he says really I wasn't even close and I shouldn't have been close. And that's that's how much credit he gave to Damon as a high school basketball player. But now I, I will tell you this: I played with everybody. I played with John Stockton, Carl Malone. I've I played games with every, you know, with with every kind of pro there is. The best basketball player to the bone that I've ever played with
0: is Damon Bailey.
1: What? Well,
2: so
0: okay, so that's a that's a hell of a hell yeah. of a statement. So. Yeah. Why does a guy like that not make it in the league?
2: Man, I think there're just all kinds of things. When Damon came out of college, he 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 should have got his knee uh fixed. He he had to get some some stuff done on his knee and and Bobby Knight kept asking him to put it off. So he did. So when he when he graduated, he had to go in and have his knee scoped and he gained like 15 20 pounds. So he shows up to camp and he, he's overweight. So he goes to the CBA and it was just one of those things, you know, I just, I get, I guess the stars just didn't line up, but I'm telling you right now, he's the best basketball player I've ever played. with. I would go on barnstorming tours with him and in Indiana, my man is Elvis. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For <laughs> my sure. My man is Elvis
0: Presley. So you're balling in the CBA and you got hit songs on the radio. How did you balance? I I, I, know you could show up when
2: you wanted, but I wasn't able to play up there much. I played in a few games. Okay. Okay. But they loved it when I showed up because I brought my tour buses. So so. (laughs) they had
0: a place to chill. (laughs) No, we we traveled on the tour buses. Oh my gosh. That's (laughs) fabulous. So y'all, the Sawyer Brown story is so interesting to me. Start as, as, a band, right, for, for Don King and, and whatnot. What, what were those years like in the early
2: 80s? Well, see, I originally, Don King was an artist on CBS Records, not the fight promoter. <laughs> right, right, right. Not, not the hair, right. Right. Uh, he, he was on CBS Records, and, and I was the, the roadie for the band. I set up all the band equipment and and I wrote for his publishing company. And so the all the guys in Sawyer Brown were in that band. But I was, you know, just you know, tuning their guitars, setting their drums up and and driving the equipment band. And then he lost his deal. And when he lost his deal, the guys came to me and said, Hey, you know, why don't you you know, we, we need to make some money. Why don't you be our, our lead singer? And I said, guys, man, I, I just, I said, I I still haven't settled in my head that that's, if, if I can do it. So they were, they were playing at a club down on Murfreesboro Road. And they had a Monday night gig. So they asked me to come down and watch it. So, so I, 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 I went down. So they, after the couple sets, they asked me to get up and, and sing a song with them. So I'm sitting there looking around. So the crowd's not paying wanted attention to. Them, right? <laughs> so <clears throat>
0: Background noise, right?
2: Yeah. So I started thinking, well, I could maybe get up and sing, and, and maybe it would just, you know, help me a little bit overcome some of my, you know, my stuff. And um, so I said, okay, I'll get up. And so we'll do, uh, I said, they said, what do you wanna do? I said, Lion Eyes by the Eagles. So, so we, we get up, we start, You know, they do the intro. Well, the minute I start singing, the whole place stops, I'm not kidding, stops and turns around to the stage. Now, now not only am I freaking out, Think about this. I have picked the longest song in the (laughs) history of popular music. Lion Eyes is six minutes and 29 seconds long. (laughs) So so I'm going, oh, my God. It was like an eternity. You're looking for that
0: time and a half button, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Let me hit the time and a half button. Yeah. Yeah. What did they so, tell you though? When everybody, everybody well, told well, me, what is,
2: this? It told them, it go, they go, "Okay, dude, you're our guy." Yep. So, so I still wasn't convinced, but, but man, we all we all needed to make money. Um, I had just when Don King had lost his deal, he let everybody go, and then uh, Charlie Pride signed me immediately after that as a staff writer for his publishing company. So, so. So I had that going, but that still wasn't, I think it was a hundred bucks a week, you know, this is, you're talking 1982, 81. <laughs> so, so there was a club that was opening in town and they were doing auditions for house bands. So the guys came and said, man, what, you know, we got to make some money. We got to pay our apartment rent. So. I said, okay, I'll I'll do it. So we rehearsed. Now you have to understand, I've never been in a band, so I don't know songs. You know, I know songs sing along, just like you or anybody else along with the radio, but like know all the words to all the songs. So so I've got a music stand, I've got the lyrics, because, you know, I, I can't memorize that many songs for this audition. So we rehearsed the night before, But also, this was a real big club opening. So there was a ton, ton of of bands auditioning. And you're in Nashville, Tennessee, which I'm telling you to this day, it's the deal. I mean, there there are guys walking the street right now that that I can't even carry the suitcase, they're so good, that will never make it, sadly enough to say. So we're in Nashville, Tennessee. So there were tons of bands. So we go to this audition, they audition bands all day. We, we we get the, the the deal. So now, now, we're the house band, and now I've got to like start learning all these songs. So so I've got a music stand, I've got my guitar, you know and, a, and, and I'm, I'm you know I'm playing guitar and I'm singing. and it was it was pretty cool because you know, you know God never gives you more than you can handle. That's right. And so the so the whole time that I'm that I'm that I'm walking through this, it's like it, it felt like almost looking back on it like baby steps to get me to the point of, of of being not comfortable but more comfortable. I'm still not totally comfortable, you know. What um what? But so 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 that you know that that was that was the, the beginning but we became really popular quick in Nashville. And then clubs from all over the South heard about us. So we started traveling, doing sit-down gigs, Jackson, Mississippi, Daytona Beach, Virginia. You know, we played a club in Charlotte. You know, we were just, we, then, then we started being really popular. Um, but we were doing six sets a night, and you know six days a week and then when we travel, and but but the funny thing is 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 nashville still wouldn't accept us because we were we were just too in their description we were too wild and too rock and roll for for to get a deal and even leading up to to star search we had pretty much exhausted every avenue we you know we saved our money, made a demo tape, we had done showcase after showcase in town, and we just couldn't get any traction at all because of the fact that you know we dressed like the Rolling Stones and we looked we acted like the Rolling Stones Nashville wasn't ready for that yet they no they they were not you know and and and, and I get it, but I also knew that we, you know, Alabama had just come on the, the scene. I knew we, I knew that, you know, we weren't Alabama and couldn't be Alabama. And, and cause there was already an Alabama. So I was just gonna be, you know, I mean, I grew up in Florida. I grew up on the Beach Boys, Credence, you know, you know, 60s and 70s, you know, Elton John, Billy Joel, and but my mom listened to country music that's in the car. That's all we were allowed to listen to that or gospel right. music. So that was so 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 that was the the hybrid that that was the influence that came from both directions was was the, this country music. But you know, all I ever listened to on the radio was was rock and roll, Bob Seeger, you know, that that you know, so that was I loved that. So when I would write, there would be this you know this, this high step that step was our first number one record and man I couldn't even let the publishing company they wouldn't even let me demo it because they thought it was so bad they just you know so so that that's where that's where Nashville
0: was at the time and that's that's how we were looked at at the time you know <laughs> so that's 1985
2: i think so no, that no that was 19 that was 1983, because oh, 1983. Okay. Yeah, because um, Star Search uh, came along in the fall of '83, but it didn't air until it was a delay. It didn't air till like
0: either the end of the year or the beginning of '84. How did that? So, so those of you who may not know what Star Search is, unless you're 35 or older, you may have no idea. <laughs> It was a talent show hosted by Ed McMahon, and it was wildly popular when I was a kid. Well, well we, and, we tease everybody and say
2: we were the original American Idols, <laughs> you
0: know? Right, exactly. It was like American Idol back in the day. Yeah. How did that? How did that opportunity come to be? And and what was that experience like for you guys? So, so
2: we didn't. There was a there was a club in California that was a really popular club that was interested in us, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't hire us unless they could see us in a videotape. They'd heard about us. So they, they wanted us to make a videotape. So we were, we were being um, booked by Buddy Lee attractions, but we were actually being booked by two interns at Buddy Lee attractions. <laughs> wow. So, um, cause we were just a club band. High on the pecking order there. huh? Yeah. So, that, so, so Rick Shipp, who was one of the, the interns who, who later on went on to, to be a, a, a really big agent for William Morris, Rick called and said, hey, there's, there's an outfit coming to town and they'll videotape you guys and they'll let you have the videotape to send out to California. I said, great. He said, be at this studio, you know, tomorrow, you know, on, it was, a, I remember it being on a Friday. So we went over to the the studio and outside it had star search auditions. So we go in, so the guy's telling me about the show. Now the show had had not aired yet, so it was the first season. So it was like, we, 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 we didn't know anything about the show. So as he's telling me, all I'm wanting in my mind is are we gonna be able to get this videotape to send out to California? So he said, You guys are going to do two songs. He says, We're going to videotape it. And I immediately stopped him and said, and we're going to be able to get that videotape. He said, Yeah, but he said, now we got to send it to New York over the weekend. And he said, he said, they want to see everything that we're we're taping down here. And he said, This is Star Search is a TV show. He said, it's 26 episodes. He says, we've booked 20 episodes. We're looking for the last four or five episodes. He said, We have uh, we have uh, recorded four shows already. But he said, We're we have already got everybody booked up into those last four shows. This means nothing to me. Right? I just You just want, want the video. tape, bro. I just want the tape. I said, Okay, <laughs> that's great. That's great. So so we we did two songs. I think we did smoking in the Rockies, which was uh we also uh, did on on Exo in the show and i think we did Leona which was our first mm-hmm. single yep so so as you, so we did it we finished so i get a call on monday thinking we're getting a videotape now this was back before cell phones and so i get a call from Rick Shipp, and rick said hey the star search people are going to call you he says they- he says, they, they wouldn't tell me what's going on because I'm officially not your agent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he said, they're going to, he said, sit by the phone. They're going to call you in the next 10 minutes. So I'm in my apartment and I'm sitting there. So the guy calls and he says, hey, here's the deal. He says, you guys made the show, but he said, this is what I'm up against. He says, they, they had moved you in front of everyone. They want you on the next show, which was show number six. And he said, I said, okay, what does that look like? He said that we want you guys on an airplane tomorrow morning flying to LA. Wow. I said, man, I said, I got to be real honest with you. I said, man, we don't have it the kind of money to fly out there. And he goes, oh, oh we're, we're gonna fly you. I said, okay. I said, um, we've never been to LA. I said, man, I, I just gotta be straight up with you. I said, we, we don't have money for hotel rooms, for food. And he goes, he, he says to me, buddy, my job is to get you to LA. Get <laughs> whatever he it said, takes. <laughs> he said, you don't have to worry about a thing. Everything will be taken care of. You just need to tell me that you and the boys will be on the plane tomorrow morning. And he said, "Here's the flight. Here's the flight number." And he said, "We bought the tickets. We're gonna we're gonna fax you the vouchers." Blah blah blah. I said, "Okay." So now, now you have to understand. <laughs> now I've got to go find the guys because it's Monday. That's usually our only day off, and we're usually traveling Monday night somewhere to Corinth Mississippi or somewhere to do a show and so I had to call Rick ship back and he said well I'll cancel this week and he said you guys you guys need to 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 go so I had to literally drive all over town to find the guys because we didn't have cell phones you know one guy was at the doctor and one guy was here one guy was at the dry cleaners so I had to go go find the guys and say, guys, we're going to LA tomorrow.
0: Which what what was there? Six of you? Five of so, five of you. Okay, yeah. you got to find four guys.
2: Yeah. So it was, it was literally. I remember it was like you see on TV where all of a sudden, boom, the 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 the. the the thing changes and, and you're on the airplane and we're on the airplane and in, <laughs> in, in, in my head, the theme to the Beverly Hillbillies is playing in my head. <laughs> as we're on the plane, right? So so we we land and there's a guy that has Sawyer Brown a, with with a, a limo there to pick us up and we are freaking out, man. So we're going up Sunset Boulevard, And we get to the the Hyatt hotel and we know from, from uh, Led Zeppelin, this is, this is the place, the rock and riot Hyatt. And that's where we're staying. Now we're doubly freaking out. (laughs) So, so, um, so we do, we we get there and the guy comes up and briefs us. And he says, you guys, we, we want you guys to, uh, just just relax, he says, tomorrow morning, we're gonna go for a blocking rehearsal. We don't know what blocking means. So, and he said, and then uh, we'll do a blocking rehearsal. And then uh, this, uh, that was on a, so that was a Tuesday, the blocking rehearsals on Wednesday, he says, and we're taping on Thursday. So we we get there the next morning and he's and we're watching all the other acts and the director is coming over, making notes, talking to him, and everybody did their whatever they were doing, they did at one time. So we it comes our time. So we do our song. And he said, Hey guys, would you uh, would you take a, a couple minutes and I want you to come back and do it again? So we're the only one that he asked to do that. So I'm like thinking they don't like us. So I go over to him on the break and I said, hey, listen, man, I said, we've come a long way. I said, I've got a hundred songs. If you don't like that song, we'll play a song. I said, at this point, man, we came all this way. Just let us be on the show. And he looked at me and he said, no, he says, I want you to do exactly that same song and do exactly what you just did," he said. "I just need some people to see this." So, hmm. so he they bring three people in in suits. It was it was a lady and two men, and they were all dressed up, and they just stood there, and we did our song. Now, this is how stupid you feel. You're in a a, a dance thing with all the mirrors, and and you're sitting there mimicking what you're going to do
1: <laughs>
2: and you're just doing it to a cassette tape so you feel even double stupid right so so they just looked at us they looked at each other sh- kind of nodded and they turned and walked off so the next the next day is the, is the taping of the show so man i'm i'm so nervous because i mean i'm still i still haven't really you know it hasn't clicked in my head you know that that I'm doing this, and I'm I'm literally in the bathroom throwing up, and I'm like going, I just Lord, I don't know if I can do this. And man, so we we go out and we hit, we hit the stage and we we play, we win, and we don't we're like sitting there going, you know, everybody's like going crazy and stuff. So we go back to the dressing room, and we win. And we're sitting in there, and everybody's just—we kind of really don't know what to do because we really don't know any anything about this show. <clears throat> so the show. So the our runner, who who was the guy that I talked to on the phone the first time, he comes in and he's he's excited. He's just, he's like, man. He says he says, okay. He says we we're taping a, another uh, taping on Saturday, and he said we need another song. So we're just kind of looking around and, at each other, and he and he and he goes, "What's wrong?" I said, um, "Man, I said we don't have another we, song.
1: Don't, <laughs> you know, I said, we
2: don't have any clothes." Oh yeah. And I said we thought we were just coming out to do this show, and I said, "And they want you to pre-record the song." Now I sang live. I sang live, but but we we recorded the music. And I said, we only brought one song. He said, okay, okay. And he, then he gets real nervous. He goes, okay. So he goes out and he comes back and he's got five vouchers. He says, we got you guys booked on a red eye to go home. He said, we're gonna send you home. And cause I told him I could get in the studio the next day. So he said, he said, I want you to go home and and he he pulled me aside and he says, they told me to tell you to bring back a lot of clothes.
1: <laughs> I what said,
2: I said, okay. You're gonna be here a while. Yeah. So 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 we kept winning and we were actually out there for six and a half months. We kept winning every week, and we went we we ended up winning the whole show for the whole season, and uh, and that. And that put us in front of so many people, that you know that that's that's when all of a sudden Nashville started to notice us.
0: From there, it was a rocket ship. Uh, after Star Search, it, it was a rocket ship, and you you get into the early '90s, and it is hit after hit after hit after hit, and I want to get to those songs in just a minute but I did want to back up to something you said earlier that Charlie pride signed you to his publishing company, right? Mr. Pride just passed. Yeah. And, and just iconic, iconic, uh, transcendent pioneer. None of these words do him justice. Yeah. As someone who knew him personally, Mark, Mark, who was he? And what was that influence? Charlie, Charlie,
2: was was such a good human being and a good guy, he would have he would have never known everything you just said about him. He just Charlie just thought he sang songs and um you, you know his 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 wife Rosine she was you know she was real influential in and in handling a lot of the business and she knew but Charlie himself just carried himself just like a just like a an everyday good guy. and he, and he was. He just happened to be, in his mind, he just happened to be able to sing these these songs. He loved country music. But he was just a good guy. You know, I mean, I, it was it was an honor. I, I always love telling people that Charlie Pride signed me as a songwriter. He and Rosine saw something in 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 me. And you know, to 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 this day, I mean, I mean, you know, my, my mom passed away, you know, summer before last. But but he would always go up and make a big deal. He would make a big deal to my mom, you know, and that's that's the kind of guy he was, you know. He he just he he just was he was a good human being and uh and 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 it's it was just an honor to get to 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 write for him and 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 you know be in his family and uh and and like i said man i i could just go on about the man but he was just and he was iconic he did he did all everything that you just said about him he was uh, you know he was just he, he he was iconic, but he didn't know that about himself, you know.
1: No airs. Humble, humble, humble human being.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love to see the emotion. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Uh yeah. <laughs> one more thing before we get to the music. I'm forty-four years old, Mark, and I lost my mom when I was twenty-one and I lost my dad when I was thirty-one. And yet every single day I am working uh, to try to make them proud. That's all I want to do. I just want, I want to do something every day that enables me and my soul to feel like, man, my parents would love that. Like my mother, just, just so you know, you were talking about your mom having country music in the home and in the car. That's exactly the life I lived. I grew up in Appalachia and my mom had the Judds and Reba and Alabama and 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 all of those, Waylon and Willie and those guys on an eight track player. And we had a turntable too. She would be tickled all over herself that I get to talk to you. She loved you guys, like loved you guys. And to see the emotion that you just had in discussing Mr. Pride and discussing the fact that he, he paid mine to, to your talent with your parents leads me to assume that you're probably similar that, you know, you lost your dad a long time ago and just recently lost your mom. But I imagine that's you're you're still working to make them proud.
2: Yeah. My mom was, you know, my, my dad died in the Korean war. So my mom was 21 years old with, uh, you know, me and my brother are only um, man eleven months apart. So she was she had two infants and my mom rocked it, man. She did. She 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 you know raised us and and she the 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 really cool thing, my mom ran our fan club for you know for <laughs> for, for many it's years. Fantastic. So so she got to be a part of it. And and you know, when she passed away, we had a we had a funeral and then the fan club had a funeral for, for her. And it and, and it was it, you know, and it, it was just real that that's just how big of a part of of this and how proud she was. And I have one brother who who manages Sawyer Brown. He's he's my manager. And and so he's been a part of, of all this. And, um, you, know, it, it, you know, everything that, that we do, he and I do together, my brother and I do do everything together as far as work and play. Um, but but we, we do everything just like you do to make her proud. And she was. And, and, and like I say, for her to get to be a part of that was, was really cool as
0: well. It's the ultimate endorsement, man. You know, it's the it's – the, uh, one of the things that really stands out to me, and, and I've said this before and I wrote it in my book, is my mother was the most I love you mom ever. I mean, I knew. She told me. She hugged me. She kissed me. She loved me. She nurtured me in church Wednesday night, in church Sunday morning. She was the choir director, played piano, played organ, played acoustic, the whole thing. My dad was a tough nugget now. He was not an, I love you guy, but I knew it. He never, he never, he, he, he wasn't like an, I'm proud of you dad, but he told it, he didn't tell me, but he told everybody else. Yeah. And they told me. And so anyway, that's a little bit of a tangent, but, uh, uh you're, that amazing emotion, uh, made me think of it. Uh, again, I want to dive into these songs because they mean so much to me, but, I have one more question before we get to the actual songs. I am of the mind that, so the 90s country was my, the soundtrack of my youth, right? Okay? It's my favorite era. I listen to it every day, on and on. Uh, what do you believe the impact of that era was on the format overall in its history?
1: Well,
2: I believe, I, I believe. Is the question what, what the impact was or why?
0: Oh, I, I, I will take both. Okay, um, those are two. Those well, are two very dynamic questions.
2: Yeah. So, so the the what the impact was, what was this? It was a wave. I always I always say it was a wave, and and you know there's a there's Garth Brooks, and Shania. You know, really, really, kind of. What I would say is, is they started that wave, and and then the 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 rest of us were able just to to jump on, man, and 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 make that wave bigger and bigger and bigger, and and it was it was so cool of a time for us because, I mean, you know, country music was always kind of like the the stepchild of the genres. And then all of a sudden, the 90s, we're, we're the number one music form in the world. You know? And and we're all selling out arenas. And, and it was just, a, it, it just felt like a huge wave that picked everybody up and just we went and we all went together. Um, everybody everybody was affected by it. We sold a lot of records. We, we filled arenas, all of us did. Um, but also what we did and, and, and the reason that I can still do 100 cities a year to this day other than last year, of course, <laughs> is because of that wave and the impact that it had. And, and, and it, it brought so many people, uh, and, and now I'll get to the why I think that was, was there was diversity yeah. in, in that. But within that diversity, there, were, there was still this common core of the there's these messages in the song that that really resonated with this mass this this massive audience so you have you have Sawyer Brown the country rock guys you've got Randy Travis you know the traditional guy you've got Alabama somewhere in between you've got Garth Brooks who is this you know Cowboy uh, rock star. You've got Shania Twain, this beautiful, you know, you know. uh, Her her and and Mutt Lang were making this music, and they would do three different mixes: they'd do a country mix, a pop mix, and a European mix, and an Asian mix. And but if you if you look at exactly what it was, it was the songs that resonated. And 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 I, I just think that that the nineties were really good economically for, for everyone. Um and 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 I think we, we celebrated that with our music. And and I, I think that has lingered on. That you know, people say, hey, the nineties are hot. Well, the nineties haven't not stopped being hot for us. Um but but I, I just, I just think there was a lot of diversity, but there was, there was the message in in the music, um, was, I, I will say this, I never really worried too much about the production. If we had a great song, I mean, I always say this about a great song. Anybody could sing it and anybody could produce it. A great song is a great song. And, and, and. And that's how, when I came to Nashville as a songwriter writing for Charlie Pride, we learned how to craft a song. That was, you know, you, you had talent, but you also, it's just like, if you're, if you can throw a 90 mile an hour fastball, you have to have a curveball and a change up and a slider, um, you, you know, or you, or otherwise you're just, you know, you're just a pitcher. So So as a songwriter, we had to learn how to craft a great song. And sometimes I feel like I feel like productions overshadow like, you know, and, and, and listen, I will never say anything about today's music or, or what, because I I think there's a lot of good out there. But I still believe that the core of, of anything impactful musically is a great is a great song, a great lyric.
0: I completely agree, and I was going to – you made my point for me when you said that, you know, a lot of you guys got on the wave and, and whatnot, and it was because of that wave. It, it goes back to the songs. Yeah. Because, Mark, there were a lot of people who rode that wave, and they're not riding it now. Right. The ones that had the great songs are still riding it. Yeah it intrigues me that you, you know, you're talking about a a hundred shows a year. What impact, what what impact did the pandemic have on you guys? And, and obviously your touring schedule, but what, what, what comes with that financial impact and the, the uncertainty?
2: Well, up until, up until the, the pandemic started and that was for us, I mean, we did our last show, I think March the 3rd. And, and, you know, we, at, at that point we, we, we had to do it contractually. We, we didn't know what to do because it, it had already started, but we, we canceled an 80 city tour. Gosh. So, so, and up to that point in the 38 years that we've been together, we probably had never gone more than two weeks without doing a show. So for us, it was just, it, it was pretty tough uh, just at, but but listen, we're like everybody else as the uncertainties of what what you know what's going on. But but really, the the impact with 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 live music was like anything else. It was live. It was like the ball, you know, the NFL or or you know the NBA or, or whatever. You know um, you know the the good news for them is that, that you know they've been able to figure it out. Um, you know, with live music, you know, we, we've all done, you know, things with Zoom and, and on YouTube and stuff like that. But, you know, it's, we just looked at it as, you know, just something to suffice until we can get back out there. Because sure. you know, we, we've, we've, we've already got about 70 cities on the books right now, if they'll turn us loose. Soon as soon as they, you know, they turn us loose, we're going so
0: i can't I can't wait until that day. I yeah. cannot' wait to have my arms around. There's nothing it was a it, it was a huge void for my wife and me this summer. We go to show, We go to country music shows yeah that's that's like what we do. You know, I get paid for sports.
1: yeah
0: uh, my release is country music shows, and not having that was a noticeable void for us yeah and and I know it is for you guys, that energy exchange you have with your fans is everything right it's it's everything it's the what you do it for it's the validation for for why you do it and it's the juice so i certainly hope that you guys are back on stage in front of thousands of people again soon um
2: here's here's the here's the thing that i do know and that i've felt is live music is not going away no matter what people will figure it we will figure it out and live music is not going away And uh, and and that's what that's why I can rest pretty easy. in. just knowing that, just knowing the reaction that that we have felt from the fans, uh,
0: you know, since since we haven't been able to be out there and tour. The first one back is going to be magic. I mean, it's it's going to be magic. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Let's jump into a couple of the songs that you'll sing when you do get back. And it just, like, blows my mind. You guys, I listen to you guys all the time anyway. And, again, I told you about my dad and losing my dad. And let's just start with the walk. Um, what, What was your motivation behind writing that song? And what is the reaction when you see people consume it for the first time?
2: Well, the, the motivation, my,
0: my grandfather, and you, not
2: having a dad, my grandfather became my father figure. And, um, and no one was more proud than when we started having hit records. I mean, he had to have his own tour jacket. He had, you know, <laughs> That's and, uh, awesome. You know, uh, any place that we went, he knew he could go and, and uh, his health, you know deteriorated and and I was losing it and that song came out of that that experience and but not only along with that was was you know I was you know just getting ready to have you know my my first child so so it was just it was really probably the first song that I had written it was just truly that I had experienced all of it every every verse of that, um, and so, so I had I had really made up my mind that that song was never going to be a single, because you, now you have to understand it. In, in the eighties, we were on a, on a bit of a roller coaster because we'd have a hit song, and then radio radio still wanted to push back on us because we still would push the envelope a little too much. So, so we kind of did this a little bit. But the song, the, the songs that we did have were huge. Races on, step that step. Oh, yeah. These songs were, you know, it, it was something kind of undeniable. But then we would release something else, and, and radio wouldn't play it. So when we got to the walk, it was it was the first time that I, I I think that that I had written something that was so personal to me that I wasn't, and I told my brother, and I told TK. Uh, Kimbrell, who was also managing us, a really close friend, I told, I said, guys, I'm going to put this on, I'm, uh, when I played it for him, I said, I'm not even going to put it on an album. I just wanted you guys to hear it. And they just looked at each other and said, man, you got to put that on an album. And I said, I said you got to let people hear it. I said, I will put it on the album, but it will never be a single. <clears throat> so... And the reason was i was so probably so upset with radio at the time that i wasn't going to give them a chance to tell me my song wasn't good because mm. that would have i would have gone all redneck up on somebody yeah i, love that. So I, I love that i love that perspective me. so so we we record the song and we put it on the album and so they it was on and this is this is funny the song was on the Buick album yep so we're we're recording the next album and that we, and we didn't release it so my brother and TK come in and say man we're getting such a huge response on the walk you got to think about it i said well the album's done we're doing a new album they said let's put it Let's put this one on on that also on the next album. And I said, well, can we do that? And they said, well, you can do anything you want. So we did that. But they talked me into letting it be a single. And I said, okay. And the response, we, we went up to LA, we did the video. Um, we spent a lot of our own money because I was just bound to determined that I was not gonna let this song, if we were gonna do it, then it was gonna have to be Desert Storm. We were gonna have to come in and we were gonna have to just blitz. And so we spent, yeah, I think we spent probably in all honesty, four or five hundred thousand dollars. We wow. made, We made. We spent that much money of our own money, just making sure, and it and it was it was a big payoff. It was. No one had ever seen us in that. You know, because we, because we were the 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 fun rock guys, and so no one had ever seen that side of us. So it was. Uh, it was, it was, had a huge impact in, in, and became one of our biggest songs and still is. Now, 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 the second part of your question from stage, man, there, <laughs> there are times uh, that I'm telling, I'm getting choked up about it because I can, I can see this in my mind. The, the, <laughs> the dads that will stand up with their sons yeah, man, at the show. True, man. Now I'm up there and, <laughs> and we're trying to play this song, you know, and and they'll just stand up and they got their arm around their dad and they brought him to the show. And they said, this is a reason this you're the only band that me and my dad likes together. And you're, this is, and this is because of this. And you go, man, uh, I get it because I have, I have a son now, you know, and my son's 25 now. Uh, And and I went, uh, I watched all those phases of the song, you know, go through. So sometimes when I sing it and I think about him and my daughter, I'm like, you know, so, so it, it, it has, and continues to be a, a very impactful and emotional song for me. But you know, I one of the coolest things I saw was four generations. I saw a great granddad, granddad, dad, and he was holding his infant son. Wow. And 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 when you see that, you just you just thank God that I got to be a part of that song. I don't even look like think of it as i wrote it as much as i got i got to have a front row seat to 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 this to this song
0: beautiful man you know one reason i love it so much is because and i listen to it at minimum every other day <clears throat> and i consider this to be somewhat odd but i know i'm not alone so it's not that odd uh i listen to it because it makes me sad viscerally and that thereby makes me feel closer to my dad like like he's with me right then even though he's not and that to me is the beauty of the song and that's why i listen to it so often um yeah and i'm grateful for you i'm grateful for that song um it's just it's just beautiful and y'all if you don't know it you better go find it right now um (laughs) I also want to hit on, uh, you know, one of the things that I love about you guys, and I love about your writing, and I love about Mac McAnally's writing, whom I know, has been integral in y'all's career as well, is championing blue collar America. Right. So much of 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 what you guys do does that. Whether it's something like the Boys and Me, which is that up, but it's still the Boys and Me. It's still that. Hey man, we're working forty hours a week, and we want to go get a sixer on Friday. And but the outskirts of town, uh, that's where I grew up. I yeah. know that character very well. That's my buddies that I grew up with who still live in Parisburg and Newport in Appalachia where I grew up. Um, that's them. And there's this line, the, the, the first line of that song, I just love it so much, the Elizabeth Taylor line. Right. Because... because there's there's this old drive-in screen where Elizabeth Taylor was queen and like everybody else, she quit coming around. Yeah. That is there's so much more depth there mm-hmm. than than the surface than the words are telling. It's like we're so far out here and we're so forgotten the movies don't even come around no more. Yeah. I love that, bro. <laughs> and I sing it. I see If I could carry a half a tune in a bucket, I sing it so loud and so off key, off yeah. key. It's ridiculous. but but like, walk me through that and what it's like to what what that song, the impact of that song.
2: Well, you know, the the funny thing is 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 you you hit on that that song and and talk about that song and. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't a hit. That's that's what the funny thing about that is. We get so much, you know, just you know, fans telling us how impactful that song was. That song wasn't even a hit. And but when we ride them, we don't ride them to be hits. We just ride them. Yep. You know. And, and, and Hobie and I wrote that song because we we're both from a little town of Popka, Florida. I always used to say we, I grew up so far out in the country. We asked, had to go towards town to hunt, you know, (laughs) and and, and that's, and that's outskirts of town, you know, but, but everything in, in outskirts of town, just like you just described, my, my buddies Hathaway and Tom you know and and Aaron Sutton and Bobo all the, all my guys that's that that was it you know and and so there there are songs that you write and there then there's that, that happen in in you know 30 minutes then there are songs that you write that you just you just You couldn't have, you couldn't have written them unless you lived it. And then, then I I remember that one we probably labored over as far as writing it, making sure that every single line, and this is, this is what I'll tell you, going back to Charlie Pride and learning to craft a song, Blake Meebus ran the company. Blake produced, and he discovered George Strait and Keith Whitley. So Blake, not a bad resume. Yeah, so he knew his stuff. But Blake would not let us take a line off in a song just because it rhymed. Everything had to mean something, and everything. And, and, and also in writing with Mac, Mac, and Ally, and Mac being involved. Mac, one time we were, we were getting ready to work on even talking about the next album, whatever that was. And Mac said, "Man, you just figure out what you want to say, and we'll make a record about it." You know, and that's what that's what we did. That's, that's, that's so how cool. We made, that's how we made records. We went to Muscle Shoals, and and you know that that's where I I, I really could get away. And, and you know Mac lived in Muscle Shoals, and and we would just go down there, and and it's it's so raw and and. And you can write a song like Outskirts of Town, you know, and you're not sitting down on Music Row. Nothing wrong with Mu- Music Row, but there's also nothing wrong with getting away from Music Row. And, and that's what we would do at times, but, but Outskirts of Town, you know, it, it was that was true, it was a labor of love, but, but we, we, just like you said, every, every line in that song we lived it and, it and it meant something to us.
0: I mean, it's just, it's it's so brilliantly done. I w- I say all the time, Mark, uh, all the time, that I feel like there are a select few professions and gifts that save lives. Physicians save lives, EMTs save lives, researchers save lives, songwriters save lives. I know it because I lived it. and. And I would give anything to have that skill to be able to tell that kind of song in whatever it was, three and a half minutes, four minutes, whatever it is, because it is, it is everything that I lived growing up. The prettiest girl. Like, I mean, you know, like, I love that. It's so true. The prettiest girl that I've ever seen lives up the road just a piece. I could just, I just, I can't, I know I'm total fanboy.com right now, bro. But like, I just love it. I just I love it, and I can't believe I think I've kept you way too long already here. So let me just get into.
2: I'm fine, man. I'm I'm in Florida. I'm gonna go
0: surfing after a while, or or go you know work out. So me too. That's exactly what I'm gonna do. Um, two more. I want to hit on two more songs, and 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 for unique reasons. One, uh, so. I think, you know, we always hear all the time that he stopped loving her today is the saddest country song of all time. I disagree. All these years is the saddest country song I've ever heard in my life. It's just gutting. It's gutting. What, what happened? I know Mac wrote that song. What, what, that well, thing
1: just. Okay. So,
0: me.
2: so the interesting thing about that song. So, so I was, uh, TK and I, and uh, TK Kimbrell, he, he manages Toby, Keith as well. And, 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 and TK uh, started out managing us and he managed Mac as well. And so TK and I were driving down to Muscle Shoals. And I said, um, I said, what's Mac been up to? And he just looks at me and, and he's got a cassette there. And he said, let me play you what Mac's been up to. And he played me all these years. Did you just ball,
0: dude? Like, you must have just been shot. I, I just—I I said, even.
2: "What in the world?" <laughs> I said, "Okay." He said, "That's going to be on his album." I said, "Oh man." I said, "I'll cut it." He said, "Nah." He said, "He's going to put it on his album." I said, "Okay." So Mac put that on his album. Now Mac will tell you he doesn't make albums and, and, you know, uh, he, Mac was signed by David Geffen and Geffen just worshiped Mac and didn't, didn't, you know, care if he had a hit or not. He just wanted to hear what would come out of him, you know? So, so I knew it wasn't going to get any traction or be a single, you know, cause that's, that's not what Mac does. You know, Mac's, you know, an obscure, you know, uh iconic writer and an and artist so so the, it it came out and so we're getting ready to do the album and, and mac and i are at, uh working on the, the new album coming up and uh so i said to to mac uh no no i i, I tell you how it went i had i had Already had it in my mind I was going to cut the song, I just didn't know how I was going to get Mac to it. <laughs>
0: Convince Mac that you yeah. were going to cut the song. Yeah. In.
2: So, so I'm watching, I'm watching the Boston Celtics, a huge Celtics, Larry Bird fan. So I'm watching that. So I know Mac's watching because he is too. So I call Mac at halftime. I talked about the game a little bit, and I said, nah. "Hey, I'm I'm going to cut all these years." He said, uh, I, don't, I don't think you should. And I said, well, think about it. I'll call you after the game, think about it. I said, I'm gonna cut it. So I called him, called him back after the game. He said, man, he said, uh, I know you and I know, I know you gonna plan on this being a single, aren't you? I said, yes, <laughs> I am. He goes, he goes Mark, They ain't gonna play it. He said, it's too slow. He said, you're on a tear right now, man. He said, I don't want to be the one to take you down. (laughs) (laughs) I said, Mac, I'm cutting it. And he said, well, how are you gonna cut it? I said, it's just gonna be a guitar and V and we'll put some strings on it. He said, Mark, they're not gonna play it. They will not play it. I said, Mac, You're just gonna have to trust me on this (laughs) so we went in and we cut it that way now interestingly enough we were we were on a tear we were just having hit after hit after hit but interestingly enough the song started out really slow i mean we spent four weeks in the 40s we went like 49 46 44 42 and the label's kind of getting getting a little bit nervous. And I said, man, you just got to hang in there with it. Well, what happens, and you know this, when you hear the song, you have to hear the whole thing. No question. You can't just hear a part of it. Well, when they test the record, they'll only test like this much of it. Yeah. Well, it didn't test well, because you have to hear the whole thing. But what happened was it started going from light rotation to medium rotation. Well, medium rotation, you, then you're picking it up, and man, it—I remember it took forever to get it to number eleven. Now this was back when, when if you didn't have a song in the top ten by ten weeks, you weren't going. You had to get it up there, and it had to go in fast. So, so. All of these years got to eleven. with eleven? It, it went into heavy rotation everywhere. It went into number one like a rocket, because I mean, you had to hear the whole thing. Yeah, and and, and 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 the impact. And still to this day, it's like the walk. We have to split the walk and all these years up in the show because it disrupts. <laughs> it just it's
0: it just you know disrupts the whole show. <laughs> The, the i mean it's just so well done the the way that the song the, the psychology of the song is just the well, depth. and and, if, and and she and and she's like laying there and in the that guys moment. taking the blame yes the guys taking the blame and she's saying <laughs> wow i finally i finally realize i finally realize what i have to lose and this guy i've gone up i've gone to work and i've come home again i gave yeah. you your, your supper and your daughter and your son. It just yes. is like this punch after punch after punch. Yeah. And, and if you, if you love don't rub, song, don't rub it in that I don't I've rub it. Wrong. Oh God. I know man that line. Oh, he turned <laughs> the light on and turned it back off yeah. again. Oh yeah. my God. Like it's just yes. so, like, so Sam, my producer is a little younger mm-hmm. than you and me, not a hardcore country guy. I know him. We've gone around the globe <laughs> together. <laughs> We've gone to Rome and Paris with Jim Harbaugh. We've gone to Iceland. We've gone to Mexico. We've gone everywhere together. I, he's writing these songs. He's writing these these uh, these titles down right now for sure to go check them out. But, <laughs> but, um, you know, one more that that uh, we'll hit on one more, and then again, no pressure. But if you have a guitar there and you wanted to sing outskirts of town, by God, I'd let you. Um, I, uh, no pressure at all. You can say no. Um, I was intrigued to learn and I did not know this about you previously about the Nebraska song Yeah, and about the, the, the inspiration for that song and about your relationship with that inspiration. Share that with us.
2: Well, the Nebraska song, first of all, we were the, the biggest Sawyer Brown fan on the planet was Brooke Beringer. Brooke was a quarterback for Nebraska and he and he died in a plane crash um, right after his, his senior year. Now <clears throat> I'll tell you the the way the song came about is Brooke would like every summer when he was off, he would come out and, and climb on the bus and go and go with us. So we became big Nebraska fans as well. You know we were <clears throat> And, and Brooke had this personality that was just the most, one of the most charismatic guys I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, six foot five, just a handsome, just Hollywood could not script this. I remember when I first met him, he was in a meet and greet line and, and we were somewhere in Kansas and he's in a meet and greet. And I kept looking down, seeing this guy that was this this big guy and he looked like he looked like a hollywood movie star so i get down and i said well hey big fella i said tell me what's your story he says he says uh i'm a football player for nebraska he goes i play quarterback and i said i looked at him this is when he was a freshman i looked at him i said well, but of course you are. <laughs> 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 they wouldn't let you play any other position, pal. You're the quarterback. Looking gorgeous. like that. Yeah. So we became really good friends with him. So they win their back-to-back national championships, and he and Tommy Frazier Tommy would start in and out. And um, so they win it back-to-back. So he calls me, and he huh. says, hey, they're going to do a huge celebration a ring ceremony, there's going to be 60,000 people in, in the stadium. He said, I've talked Coach Osborne and the the, and the this athletic staff into hiring you guys to after we do the ring ceremony <laughs> to come in and do a surprise concert. So sure enough, we get a call from the athletic department, everything. So So, so that's what we're going to do. They're going to do the ring ceremony, and then they're going to uh, do, uh, uh, give out the rings, and then they're going to introduce us a surprise, and then Brooke was going to come back on stage and sing Some Girls Do With Us at the end of the show. <clears throat> so, so it's all set. So Brooke says to me, he says, man, you got to write a song for the event and I said, "Brooke, man, and this is when we were just hooking it." I said, "Man, I I don't have time." I just I just don't have time. He said, "No, you got to write a song, man. You can't just This is a big deal to us and you can't just, you know. So finally, I sit down and a song comes out. It's the Nebraska song. So So Brooke calls me and he says he says hey he says tomorrow i'm going to pick you guys up because no one knows you're coming in i'm going to pick you up at the airport he says everything's all set up and we were sending our trucks and our buses out with all of our gear and everything and this was this was in in the morning and he said did you write the song i said yeah i wrote the song he says <laughs> he says sing it for me over the phone I said, Brooke, I'm not singing you the song over the phone. I said, it's two guys and I'm not singing you the song. He goes, I'm not gonna hang out until you sing me the song. I said, Brooke, he said, I'm not hanging out. So I went and got my guitar and I sang him the Nebraska song. He just said, oh my gosh. So he says to me, he says, listen, I'm gonna go practice flying because that's what he wanted to do. After football, he wanted to be a pilot. He goes, I'm gonna go practice flying. And he said, I'll pick you guys up tomorrow. So I said, great. So I'm at dinner and I get a call from TK. I'm out to eat with my wife. And he said, I need you to walk outside the restaurant. I gotta tell you something, but you need to walk outside. So I'm thinking, well, that's odd. And he said, uh, he said, after Brooke hung up from you, he said he, he went out and he crashed the plane. He said, he Brooke's dead. And I was just crushed and stunned. And I, I, I mean, you know, it, it was like, you know, this kid's, you know, he's 21 years old. You, that just doesn't happen. So, so I get on a, flight and I fly up, his funeral was was set up. So I, I go out and uh, I get to uh, Goodland, Kansas was where he was from. And I get I get there and they take me in to see his mom and the funeral is gonna be. And she said, hey, would you sing? And I said, "Miss mm-hmm. Behringer, I, I can't do it. I can't, I, I said, I, I just can't. So I walked outside and it was like one of those moments that you go, man, Every now and then you get a man up, and I walked back in. And I said, "I'll, I'll sing." And uh, Hobie was there. And Hobie had gone out with me, and and uh, so we we picked a song that Duncan had wrote called "I'll Leave the Light On" to sing. Well, what what I experienced there, Tom Osborne came in, and and he brought the whole team. And there was a little five thousand seat arena. That's where they had the funeral. And there were so many people there in a town that probably holds twelve hundred people that they had to open the doors and just have an overflow to where people could hear. There was probably eight to ten thousand people there. And it was it was like a president it was like jfk had had passed it was so impactful tom osborne spoke he was so stoic and and, 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 and and then then i heard um you know the assistant coaches and there was just this such solid faith that that all these men had and um so i i experienced that so upon doing that I get a call from Tom Osborne and he said, he said, let's put in a scholarship in Brooke's name, a, a, a permanent scholarship. He said, if you guys will come in, I think we can raise enough money. I'll have the university match, and We'll have a scholarship in Brooke's name forever and ever. Amen. And I said, I'm in absolutely. So, so, I had never sang the Nebraska song for anybody but Brooke live. We decided to put it on the the Six Days on the Road album. And Brooke's number was 18 and and after song 12, it goes from 12 to 18. And so, so the Nebraska song is on that, but I never sang it live and decided I was never going to. Decided the only person that, Heard me sing this live was the person that meant the most thing in the world too, and I said I'm never going to sing it. So we get we get to the concert and it's it's in Lincoln and it's at the university and it's sold out. And his mom, I had other than the funeral, I had never met his mom, and his mom came in the dressing room, and she said, "I know what you think about the Nebraska soul. she said, "but I think you ought to sing it." I said, "Miss Barringer." I really made a promise to myself. She said, um, I know that, she said, but I think it would mean something to everybody if you sang it. So again, I didn't think I could do it, but I thought, okay, I've, I've got to man up and, 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 and do this. So so I, I sing the Nebraska song, And I only get about two lines in. And the crowd is singing it louder than I am. Wow. And they helped me finish it. And I looked down. And Tom Osborne, who had never broken Brooks, you know, he was solid, He was sobbing. And he walked up on stage. And he just hugged me. And he said, thanks, you know? So, so that, that's, what that, that's how that song came about. That's what that song means. It still means to me, uh, when we go to Nebraska, we know we're playing that song. We know that um, and, um, and it means it's that impactful. It's as impactful as the walk is to, to other people. And and you know we we still do that song.
0: I, I I don't even know what how to begin to say thank you for all the time for the amazing insight and vulnerability and sharing emotions. Um, I feel like the world needs that. Yeah. And and. This has fulfilled me in ways I can't articulate. <laughs> so thank you for your time, brother. So much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, I'm a I'm a
2: big fan, man, and I'll tell you I tell you one of the reasons why. I just love that they let somebody with a true Southern accent just let him be himself and 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 be a commentator. It I I, I watched it all the way. Up. Uh, I discovered you on NASCAR when you used yep. to do NASCAR. And then w- when I saw you, you've got the NFL gig, I thought, heck
0: yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you, brother. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm blessed beyond words, and blessed beyond what I deserve. And I never forsake that. I made a life on passion and that's never going to stop. And, uh, this has just been the joy. It's so, so much joy for me. Thank well, you. Thank you very man. much. Have an awesome day. Enjoy that workout. All right. And uh, I'll tell Shannon that he can't handle that crossover, brother.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't handle him posting up either. So, so. Understood. <laughs> Understood. All right, Cheers. Happy you. New Year.
1: Okay. Send to you.